Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Hello, and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You have Brian and Jeff along with you. And Jeff, first and foremost, good morning. How you doing? Good morning. Hey, I'm doing fine. How about you? Doing well. Really excited to talk about our subject today, time and eternity. So, you know, one of the reasons why the Bible is such a wonderful book is that it contains so much what we might call original information. So, in other words, there are some things that we can know by studying the Bible that we could never know were it not for the revelation of God. So, for instance, what is the origin of all things? How did the earth get here that we live on? Where did man come from? Where is man going? When we look at all the intricate details of nature, the animals and birds and flowers, where did all that come from? Well, the Bible tells us. And so that's what we mean when we talk about original information. So in today's podcast, Jeff, I guess we want to emphasize, you know, these kinds of questions and kind of share with our listeners a biblical context of time and eternity. Which basically covers pretty much everything, right? From, you know, the infinite past to the infinite future. Sure does, yeah. So let's just dive right in. So first section, as I t- mentioned, the infinite past, before the beginning. I know that sounds a little contradictory, but in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, first beginning, first book of the Bible, starts with this very profound declaration. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Simply speaking, in the beginning, God already was. And of course, some people may wonder wh- where God was or where he came from, you know, before the beginning. The Bible says that God always existed, you know, even before the creation of the universe in Genesis 1. He is eternal or everlasting, per Deuteronomy 33, 27, Romans 1, 20, and Romans 16, verse 26. And that, of course, not only extends out into the future, but also into the, as I said, the infinite past. Now, admittedly, that's a pretty hard concept uh, for us limited humans to, to wrap our brains around, you know, the concept of infinity or the concept of eternity. And yet, you know, God having always existed is clearly proclaimed in uh, the scriptures. Now, that also includes the existence of the being that would eventually come to earth and be known as, you know, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, you know, Jesus the Christ. According to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 and verse 14, in the beginning, as we mentioned, Genesis 1, 1, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, or was deity. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Continuing on, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, you know, speaking of Jesus as, you know, God's son, and in conjunction with the creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Now, Brian, you know, some of our listeners may wonder, you know, what happened? What was God doing? You know, God and Jesus, and of course, as we understand also the Holy Spirit, you know, what were they doing before this material universe was created? Well, we get a little bit of glimpses. Uh, Certainly, by implication, the creation of the angels, Job chapter 38, verse 7, who were already present when God created the heavens and the earth. And of something interesting to note, most likely the angel, that would include the angel, that we would eventually come to know as Satan or the devil, who, best we can tell, most likely rebelled against God at some point, perhaps as indicated in Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, where it talks about war in heaven, Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, of course, representative of of Satan, and his angels. Now, Admittedly, you know, as I said, likely, you know, when such things are not clearly revealed in scriptures, uh, candidly, Deuteronomy 29, 29 is a good verse to keep in mind. 
talks about the secret things that belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the work of this law. So before the beginning, infinity or eternity. So there we go with, with some difficult concepts right off the bat, Brian, for folks to wrap their brains around. Yeah, it sure is. And but it's it's important to mention. So, you know, we go from before the beginning or before the creation of the heavens and the earth to the beginning that we all know. And that's of course the the creation of the heavens and the earth. So returning to Genesis chapter one, we see the miraculous creation of the universe and the earth and things like plant life and animal life and so forth, and humanity, right? The creation of mankind in six 24-hour day-night periods. And just as a quick sidebar, you know, over the, the recent years, people have tried to say that, you know, these weren't literal days or 24-hour days, but they, you know, covered thousands of years. But yet, when you look in Genesis chapter 1, after every day of creation, it clearly says, so the evening and the morning were the first day. So anyhow, that's just one example of, yeah, these were... Six 24-hour day-night periods where God created everything, as we mentioned, mankind, the earth, heavens, all of that. Now, from an accountability perspective, this reveals God as a supreme being, the creator, and ultimately whom we must answer to for how we live in this world. And so when we look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, it says there, And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, of course, this account of what we might call origins or our beginnings is in marked contrast to that offered from a purely naturalistic perspective by the scientific community in our culture who would have us to believe that what we see today took millions and even billions of years to develop. Now, we had a podcast where we kind of covered these aspects in detail. So under our podcast page at our website, BibleQuestions.org, if you look under the section of evolution, you'll see that there are episodes 64 through 66 back in May of 2021. Jeff and I dealt with this in more detail. Now, when we look in the Genesis account of origins, we also see several other important beginnings. So, for instance, we see the beginning of the law. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, it says, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Jeff, you want to read for us Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, where it talks a little bit more about this? Well, going on to describe the kind of law, if you will, or commandments, or what God tells you know, Adam and Eve to do. Again, beginning uh, with verse 15, chapter 2. And the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden, to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So here we see the beginnings of law in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. We also see, in looking at Scripture, the beginnings of human sexuality and marriage of man and woman. So in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, I will make a helper comparable to him. Also, Jesus mentioned in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, in the context of the Pharisees asking him about divorce and you know whether they could divorce a woman for just any cause. Well, Jesus says, beginning in verse 4, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So, very clear there, beginning of marriage, beginning of man and woman joining in a union and covering 
even the, the sexual relationship as being between a man and woman, specifically a husband and wife, and that's it. Now, when we shift gears now and talk about the beginnings of temptation and sin, as Jeff read a little bit ago in Genesis chapter 2, when God first gave law, one of the first laws he gave, of course, is what they could and could not eat. And so we see now the beginning of temptation and sin, where in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Of course, the serpent here is Satan. And we also see the beginning of temptation in the different ways, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So we are tempted in those same ways today. And we, of course, see the beginnings or origins of temptation and sin there. Well, that led to the beginning of the separation from God. And so in Genesis chapter 3, after this sin occurred with Adam and Eve, it says here, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed a cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden in a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So Adam and Eve separated themselves from God by their sin, and there was a, a punishment as a result of their sin. Continuing on in Genesis chapter 3, we also see now the beginning or the first indications that there would be a future Savior. And so Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Also, 1 John 3.8, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. goes on to say, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jeff, if I could get you to read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Okay. Insomuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who, through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So although God knew this would happen, right? Although this situation was already anticipated by our all-knowing God before the creation, we also know that he planned a remedy to reconcile us to himself through his son, Jesus. And we know this from passages like, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 17, where it says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges, according to each one's work, conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed, verse 20 tells us, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 also talks about the hope of eternal life, which God, it says, who cannot lie, promised before time began. So once again, God is all-knowing. He knew that man would sin. He had a plan where he would send his son that through his death would reconcile or bring us back into that relationship with God because we know in other passages that sin separates us from God. You know, Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. So Jeff, I'll turn it back over to you. So 
anchored in Genesis, of course, basically that's a word that means the beginnings. You know, as Brian indicates, there are a lot of beginnings, uh, you know, even in just the uh, first three chapters alone. But as we continue the narrative and as time advances, of course, it didn't take long for evil, generally speaking, to spread, you know, through humanity. Of course, beginning with Eve, Adam, and of course, Cain, and descendants. Fast forward roughly 1,500 years, and the state of humanity was indeed very uh, dismal. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 6, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then, of course, you know, if you're somewhat familiar with the, you know, biblical account, the Lord God goes on to commission Noah to build a large ark or boat to preserve the lives of air-breathing animals and sends a massive, devastating, planet-wide flood that wiped out everything that breathed air, not only the animals, but also humanity. And, as a side note, reworked, if I could use that term, uh, in essence, the surface of the planet. Which, you know, going back to the concept of, you know, evolution and, you know, millions of years, when you look out and you see, you know, massive mountain ranges and, you know, tons of erosion and sedimentary deposits that are thousands of feet thick. Indeed, think about it. You're looking at evidence of the Great Flood. And of course, that's, you know, Genesis chapter 7, 8, and 9, which documents, you know, the great flood, as well as Noah's, you know, stay on the ark, which lasted an entire year. And then, of course, beginning with chapter 9, we now see the, the beginnings of the repopulation, if you will, of the planet, both animals as well as humanity. Now, some people say, well, yeah, but that was like a myth. Right? You know, it didn't really happen. Interesting uh, make-believe story. However, later in the New Testament, these actual historical events are used to, by Jesus to encourage his disciples to be faithful. Luke chapter 17, verse 26, beginning, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So basically, we have the growth of evil throughout the entire planet, the selection of Noah, the ark, the great flood and almost like a, a massive reset, if you will, for humanity, for the planet, for geology, etc. Right? Yeah, and after that occurred, we see that the next thing God did was he made an important promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, along with the nation of Israel. So from that time of the flood that Jeff mentioned, if we fast forward roughly 500 years, we see God selected Abram, who was later renamed Abraham for special blessings and promises. So if we look in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now we see this unfolding in time through his son Isaac, his grandson Jacob, later renamed Israel, and the twelve tribes or nation of Israel. 
Now, Peter, speaking to the Jews after Christ's death, and after Christ was buried and arose, and then eventually ascended on high back to heaven, Peter says in Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 25, you are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Jeff? And so now we have indeed, you know, this even more promise, if you will, of the coming Savior. But to get to that actual event, we have to basically skip over a lot of history. I mean, almost 2,000 years. You know, the rise of the you know, Egyptians, the rise of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, etc. So fast forward about 2,000 years to a time when the Jews are in the land of Canaan. They're currently under Roman rule now at this point. And in a small village north of Jerusalem is born one of Abraham's descendants, who will be called Jesus Son of God and Savior of the world in the fullness of time. That phrase you can find in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, really quick sidebar, you know, fullness of time, what does that mean? Well, in some ways it could easily refer to when events had naturally occurred, we now have Roman Empire, common language, common commerce, lots of travel. It would make for relatively easy spread of the gospel, just as a side comment. So we have, you know, the birth of Jesus, and then roughly 30 years later, Jesus will begin preaching the good news of God's coming kingdom. And in less than four years, uh, he will become uh, famous, you know, within that region for both his teachings and the miracles he performed, you know, throughout the land of Canaan. But unfortunately, eventually, he runs afoul, if you will, of the current Jewish religious leaders who refuse to accept him as the Son of God and refuse to accept his teaching. Eventually, they arrest him, condemn him in a sham trial, and persuade the local Roman authorities to execute him as an insurrectionist professing to be a king, you know, in contrast to Caesar, and execute him in the most horrific way the Romans had to treat their criminals and that's via crucifixion. But on the first day of the week, you know, after his burial, he was miraculously resurrected, appeared to over 500 of his followers for roughly 40 days, and then ascended into heaven. Now, before he left to go back to heaven, he made some interesting statements. Uh, Matthew 28, verses 18 beginning. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even the end of the age. Brian, you want to do uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16? Yeah, here it says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And perhaps the, the very last things that he was speaking to his you know, inner circle, his disciples, uh, recorded in Acts chapter 1. Kind of a lengthy section in there, you know, verses 4 through 11. So let me just kind of hit the highlights. He was assembled together with them, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8, he talks about them receiving power, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the world. You know, at which point he was taken up you know, into the sky, the cloud received him, and while the disciples were looking at them, an interesting promise. Two men, two angels, said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven, or up into the sky? This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So a promise of future things. 
But the promise that Jesus made to his, you know, inner circle, if you will, of being baptized by the Holy Spirit, you know, power from the Holy Spirit, inspiring them to preach, bringing to their remembrance everything Jesus had taught them, and then in turn, you know, speak with, you know, inspiration to uh, others, uh, preach the word, etc., and write the word down. You know, we see all of that coming to fruition in the very next chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2, beginning, uh, we'll go down to maybe starting verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, that it was not possible that he should be held by it. Skip on down to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So in essence, we have the you know death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, you know, his atoning death on the cross, the first gospel sermon, if you will, you know, calling on men to recognize Jesus as indeed Lord, Christ, Savior, Son of God, you know, repent and be immersed in water for or in order to have the remission of sins. Right? So as we continue to look in the Bible about these beginnings, and as we've been looking at over time, what has occurred, this, what Jeff just finished, kind of takes us through the end of the first century. You know, so now if we fast forward about 2,000 years to today, we can now look at our beginning, as in the beginning of all of us who are alive today. And so when we take a look at the time period from that end of the first century, what we see is that in the intervening centuries after that, Christianity grew. We see the rise uh, into Catholicism, where Catholicism eventually became the most popular, for lack of a better term, or the largest religion in the world. But that first century Christianity that we see did continue. It was just a smaller number of people. However, we look and, and see the survival of the church through the Dark Ages in Europe. We see the rise of Islam. We see how the church splintered into countless denominations during the Reformation and now competes with humanism and worldliness, atheism, if you will, and other worldviews for mankind's attention and devotion. And that's really the world that all of us live in today. So when we think about this world into which each of us began our own individual timeline, well, the first great event, of course, in each of our existences are being physically conceived and born. Now, from a spiritual perspective, we have this central question, you know, are people born as sinners or born innocent? Now, both Catholicism and Calvinism would have you believe that we are born sinful, having inherited something called original sin, they claim, from Adam. And so Catholics would sprinkle water on their infants to cleanse these infants in their eyes from this sin, while Calvinists would say that only God, via miraculous direct operation of the Holy Spirit, can overcome our totally depraved nature and enable us to have faith. However, the scriptural answer is that we are born innocent. Neither sin nor a totally depraved nature is inheritable. And so the only thing that we've inherited from Adam is a fleshly nature, characterized by the same strength and weaknesses that characterized his fleshly nature. And we are not declared guilty because of the sin of someone else. That would be, if you think about it, unjust and unfair. So let's take a look at a couple passages that address this. Ezekiel chapter 18, wonderful chapter. Highly recommend you read the entire chapter if you have not done so or if it's been a while. But let's take a look at verse 4 in Ezekiel 18 where it says, and God here speaking, Behold, all souls are mine, 
The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Skipping down now to verse 19, Yet you say, Why should the Son not bear the guilt of the Father? Because the Son has done what is lawful and right, and has kept all my statutes and observed them. He shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The Son shall not bear the guilt of the Father, nor the Father bear the guilt of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So that section of scripture makes it very clear that we are all accountable for what we have done. And that matches passages like 2 Corinthians 5.10, where it talks about each one of us individually will be judged for what we've done in the flesh. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 14, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. So you think about the innocence of a child who has not known sin, they don't understand sin. That's what the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, will be made of. Romans chapter 2 verse 6 tells us that God will, in essence, render to each one according to his deeds. So much like we said in 2 Corinthians 5.10. And then 1 John chapter 3 verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. So these are just a few passages that really teach us that when it comes to this question of are we born as sinners or born innocent? Well, we're born innocent because we only sin when we transgress God's law. And so therefore, we're accountable for our own sins and not the sins of our fathers, nor the sins of any offspring that we have. Jeff? So as time marches on, babies, and that would have included each of us, you know, we grow into children, Children grow into what we might call a state of knowing right and wrong, what some people refer to as the age of accountability. And that, of course, you know, gives them a choice, you know, confront, being confronted with the decision to sin or to refrain from sin. So, so far, everyone, according to the scriptures, has been confronted with that decision and has made the wrong decision, has basically chosen sin because Romans chapter 3 beginning with verse 9 we've previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin as it is written there is none righteous no not one there is none who understands there's none who seeks after God they have all turned aside they have together become unprofitable there is none who does good no not one so all who've reached the age of accountability, and you know, Brian, that's you, that's me, that's all of our listeners out there, basically have been plunged, if you will, as a result of their sin, as a result of their transgression, into the realm of you know, sin, spiritual darkness, uh, basically into the realm over which Satan is somewhat in charge, if you will, and spiritually holds people captive. Now, again, keep in mind, this is based on our own choice. James chapter 1, verse 13, oh, we'll say beginning of verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when they are drawn away by their own desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And of course, we you know come back full circle, back to Genesis in the garden with Eve, beginnings of temptation, you know the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, pride of life, and here we are thousands and thousands of years later, being exposed to you know similar temptations and. Initially, for all of us, you know, failing at some point in our lives, which kind of leads us to, you know, a logical question of, you know, if we did start out innocent, chose to sin, and now are under, you know, condemnation, you know, separated from God, what should we do? And Brian, I'll toss that one over to you. Yeah, so we require salvation. And as you mentioned, Jeff, this is a timeless question that all of us should ask and understand, and that is what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16 and verse 30, 
when he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so, you know, the importance of properly harmonizing all the scriptures on this subject of salvation is so critical because of the widely divergent views that we see today. So we must harmonize. We must look at what the Bible says, not what man says or not what you know, the beginning of some Bible pages have as far as the sinner's prayer because the publisher thought it would be a good idea to put that in there. We really only care what God says and what God teaches us through his word. So, for example, you know, when we think about this idea of belief only, some people will say that that's all you need is to, you know, accept Jesus as your personal savior or believe the gospel or the good news that teaches us that Jesus is our personal savior. Well, based on passages like John 3:16, it it makes it very plain. Here it says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So this passage teaches us that it was through God's love that he gave us a means to reconcile or bring us back into a relationship with him. Because we have passages like Romans 3.23 that tells us that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as we mentioned earlier, we have passages in like Isaiah chapter 59 that says that sin separates us from God. So we are in need of forgiveness. Now, there are also passages that teach us that it goes beyond this simple belief. So for instance, we need to obey the gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9 talks about that Jesus, when he comes again with his mighty angels, it says in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so pretty clear there that we need to be obedient to this gospel that we find in the Bible and specifically what we might call the New Testament or New Covenant the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4, 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So there will be consequences. So what God has given us as we harmonize all of his scriptures on salvation is what we often call a plan of salvation. So I'll just kind of run through this really quick. We need to hear God's word. So God wants us to hear what he has to say by reading his Bible. It can also be through hearing a sermon, through being taught by somebody else if they're using the Bible as their source, and understanding what he would like us to do in life. So when we read the Bible, we learn that Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice so that our sins can be forgiven. And when we believe in Jesus, we show faith. And so Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that's how our faith is established, by understanding, reading, learning God's word. That leads us to believe. So we need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we see in passages like John chapter 1, verse 12, where it says, But as many as received him, speaking of Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And this leads us to then realize we're sinners, we're in need of forgiveness of sins, but the Bible teaches us that we first need to be willing to repent of our sins. So Acts chapter 3 verse 9, Peter says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And this makes sense because if we're going to turn back to the Lord or turn to the Lord for the first time if we've never been baptized, we must be willing to stop sinning and acknowledge the fact that we are sinners and in need of forgiveness. The next step the Bible teaches us is that we need to confess that we believe Jesus is the Son of God, much like we see the Ethiopian eunuch did in Acts chapter 8 and verse 37. We also see in Romans 10.10, 10, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we make that confession and then we're baptized and you know we have to figuratively wash away our sins by being immersed in water so for instance in mark 16 16 he who believes and is baptized will be saved but he who does not believe will be condemned and so if we don't believe if we refuse to follow what the bible teaches us as far as being baptized then we're going to be condemned Ananias told Paul in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins 
calling on the name of the Lord. So these are just a few passages that teach us that not only is baptism required, but that it washes away our sin. So those five steps, we need to hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Now, once we follow these steps, we have the remission or forgiveness of our sins, as we see also in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. We are added to the Lord's church, as we see in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, where it says the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We are now citizens in Jesus' kingdom, per Colossians chapter 113. We are part of his body, as we see in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23. And we are considered children of God. And you see that over in John chapter 1, verse 12. So simply speaking, we are in Christ, where there is no condemnation. And we see in Romans 8, 1, where there is access to all spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1, 3 tells us that. So th these are some just quick passages that teach us what does it mean to be saved, to be restored into a relationship to God, to be in Christ, to be considered God's children, and so forth. Jeff, back to you. And all that is great and wonderful, but it is merely the beginning. Becoming a true disciple or follower or Christian, according to the Testament pattern that we mentioned above, is just the start. As Brian mentioned, there is not only belief, but obedience. And not only obedience to these initial steps, but the scriptures also say we need to learn, to grow, to become more mature in both our thinking and our knowledge and our wisdom, but also in our obedience. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, beginning, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism, as Brian mentioned earlier, into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 11, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 11 it talks about giving all diligence to add to our faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. And then continuing on in verse 8, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I might mention as a side note that we recorded a series of podcasts Episodes 136 through 143, along with our preacher, Alan Hitchin, have provided a very uh, insightful and in-depth examination of this particular passage, Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Uh, so we would encourage our listeners to go to our website under the podcasts page and either find episodes 136 through 143, most easily under the topical index under Christian Living. So learn, grow, become more mature. Now, this includes taking heed to the dangers of falling away and of being lost as a result. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 24, you know, Paul writes, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, or moderate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Continuing on into the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 10, 
down verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand takes heed lest he fall. We see the example of the Galatians who wanted to add to the gospel Old Testament teachings from the law of Moses. And they were condemned for doing so. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. We have the examples of Christians in Smyrna. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, where Jesus speaking, Be faithful unto death, or until death, and I will give you the crown of life. So, again, part of time, part of our lives, is learning growing, yes, and we will, on occasion, sin, which we need to, you know, repent, you know, pick ourselves back up, get back into the race, if you will, and, you know, persist, knowing that, yes, indeed, salvation is of grace through faith, but that faith must be an active, obedient, uh, working faith, including repenting when we sin, and I say when, not if, because even as Christians, we will continue to sin periodically. As long as we repent, come back into God's favor, things will turn out the best for us. Right? Yeah, so as we continue down this timeline of life, if you will, what does the Bible tell us about our physical death and what happens after one dies? So everyone's going to experience death unless Jesus comes back before we die. And we have passages that talk to us about this in Hebrews chapter 9, for instance, verse 27, and it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. First Peter chapter 1, verse 24, all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. So we're guaranteed to die. Of course, we know this, right? We see people die all the time, but the key point here is after this is the judgment. Now, physical death, sometimes people ask, we get questions about, well, what happens when we physically die? Well, the Bible teaches us that when physical death occurs, the spirit is separated from the body. In fact, we're told that over in James chapter 2 and verse 26. It says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And so there is this separation. So the question is, well, what happens on the other side of death? Where do we go from death? Well, the Bible also gives us the answer here. Our spirits go to a realm called Hades, and Hades is the realm of the unseen, where you know it's a place where spirits go when the body dies. So we do not immediately go to heaven or hell, as some might believe. Now, Hades is divided, so we also learn that there are two sections, if you will, in Hades. One is called paradise, or Abraham's bosom, and the other is called torments. And we see this from the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Now, as one lives on earth, on this side of time, each one of us is able to determine where we will go to await the resurrection and judgment. So God has allowed us, based on how we live our life and the decisions that we make as we live, what our final destiny will be. So we're taught in the scriptures that paradise is a place of comfort for the faithful. And we talk about this place called Hades. So if you look in Luke chapter 16, verses 22 and 23, Acts chapter 2, verses 27 and 31, Luke chapter 23, 39 through 43, and then also Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, it talks about, once again, how paradise is this place of comfort for the faithful. The other part of Hades is this place of torment for the unfaithful as well as those who do not obey the gospel. And we see that from passages like Luke chapter 16, verse 23, and verse 28. Also 2 Peter 2, 4 and 2, 9, and then Jude verse 6. So it talks about Hades being that place of torment. So the other key thing for us to understand is that once we die, you know, some religions teach, well, you can be baptized for the dead, or you'll only go to this place for a while, and suffer, and then you'll have a chance to go to heaven. No, once we die, our, our destiny is fixed. And so there's no crossing over, if you will. In fact, in that same section of Scripture, in Luke chapter 16 and verse 26, we find that no one can cross from one section of Hades to the other. So once again, it's fixed. There is no second chance. And so that's important for us to know. Jeff? 
So we have the end of our own lives. As Brian indicates, Hades, the Hadean realm, where the spirits of all who have died from the beginning of time are presently. And of course, as we go into the future, our own deaths, if you will, that's where we'll go as well. But the Bible also speaks about an end or the end, if you will. And of course, this is tied with Jesus's second coming. And so we have events like when Jesus returns, all the dead will be raised, spirits in Hades reunited with a rejuvenated or a new spiritual kind of body, uh, resurrected to life. And those of us who are alive at the time will have immortal resurrection bodies. Again, that's per 1 Corinthians chapter 15. John 5, beginning of verse 28, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Likewise, uh, Paul gives insight through the Holy Spirit in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse 13 through roughly verse 18, that somewhat longer passage. Verse 14, for instance, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you that by the word of the Lord, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. Also connected with this event is the destruction of the world as we know it. Second Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 3. Know this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they are willingly ignorant, or they willingly forget. By the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water. Of course, that's Genesis chapter 1, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Again, a reference back to the great flood of, of Noah's day. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct, and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Of course, within scriptures, Next, we understand, comes the judgment, what some people refer to as the judgment day. There will be a formal pronouncement of the eternal destiny of every soul. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Similarly, Romans chapter 14 uh, roughly verse 10, all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. The Bible also reveals part of the process is the faith will go to their eternal reward now in heaven from Hades through the resurrection process, through the judgment process, or the formal pronouncement, if you will, of their destiny and on into heaven. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3. 3 and 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. For instance, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning of verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, 
time of my departure is at hand. Of course, Paul was about to be executed for being a Christian. I have fought the good faith. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Contrarywise, the unfaithful or, or the lost, after official you know, pronouncement, if you will, going to their final destination, which is in hell, translation of the Greek word Gehenna, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And of course, we kind of see this in somewhat figurative language, uh, summarized in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, beginning, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no more place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And now we've come full circle from infinite eternity past through time, you know, in this existence for thousands of years. And now we're back to eternity future, whether that is in heaven or in hell. Brian? So we have come full circle, right, Jeff, as you said, and our hope in this podcast was, as we mentioned at the very beginning, was to show how there's so much information about life that's only contained in the Bible. And so when you think about all that we've talked about in this podcast, it really has been a biblical summary of conditions from eternity prior to creation, the creation through time to our lives today, continuing on to eternity after the judgment. And the Bible gives us information about that entire journey from beginning, once again, through eternity. So we hope that you found this to be helpful. Obviously, we cannot change or do anything before our time. In other words, before we're born. Uh, certainly, once we leave this realm of time and go into eternity, all things are out of our control. And our destiny at that point is sealed or fixed. So therefore, we must be concerned with what we can do now while we are in the age of time, while we are still alive today. So just a couple passages to put our minds in the right time frame as we wrap this up. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man speaking of Jesus, whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So a question that we'll leave everyone with who's listening to this is, what will you do? What actions will you take to affect your eternal destiny? So, you know, through this podcast, we've really been able to answer several Bible questions that all of us have, really, as mankind, like, you know, where did God come from? Where did the earth come from? You know, why did God destroy mankind in the flood? Why did God send Jesus to the earth? Will there be a judgment? How can I be saved and go to heaven? And hopefully, as everyone has seen and heard, the Bible answers all of these questions and gives us, Jeff, this wonderful perspective of this continuum of time from the very beginning, as we've mentioned, through eternity. Yes, indeed. And so for our listeners, if you're interested in exploring some of these topics in greater depth, please go to our website at biblequestions.org. Under the lessons menu item, there's some material on Bible basics, which kind of covers a lot of the same material that we talked about today. Under topics, we have C for creation and E for evolution. N for nature of God, nature of Jesus, nature of man. Under topics, steps to salvation, which we summarize briefly. B for baptism, for more in-depth on that particular subject. 
C for Christian living. In other words, how we should you know, conduct our lives as Christians after having been saved. S for second coming. H for Hades, heaven, and hell. And of course, all of that's written material. But if you're interested in previous audio material uh, via our podcasts, we talk about creation and evolution in episodes 64, 65, and 66. Talk quite a bit about Calvinism in several episodes, beginning with episode number 83. Baptism, beginning episode 15. Salvation, episode 51. Death in the Afterlife, episode 5. Then, of course, in terms of Christian living, lots of episodes on that. Again, if you go to the podcast menu item, scroll down past the podcast player, you'll find a topical section where all of our podcasts are arranged according to various topics like we've described today. Lots of materials. And as always, we encourage our listeners to you know visit the website, read the material. More importantly, read the scriptures, examine the scriptures, and try to apply them to your life to become faithful and to be more faithful to God. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.